Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We talk a lot today about sexual assault and harassment. I know a lot of things are about that, but this episode is too. So listen with care. Welcome to The Waves, Slate's podcast about the terror of gender, feminism, and today, the audacity of a man who looks like a melted Jason Statham candle. Being a 46-year-old man should be a felony. Every week, we talk about what fresh hell is being unleashed on the girls and the gays, the theys and thems, and anyone else similarly committed to a society free of cis male dominance. I'm Sachi Cole. It's my last week hosting The Waves, so I'm going to work very hard to get in trouble. What are they going to do? Fire me? You heard that Spain won the Women's World Cup, right? Spanish supporters erupted with joy at the final whistle as Spain won the 2023 Women's World Cup. Spain's Olga Carmona scored the only goal of the game in the first half. It's a double achievement, she says, winning today and also motivating more women to play soccer. The women on the Spanish team are, obviously, incredibly impressive. Here's what it sounded like when they won. From the corner, driven up, Coy grabs it! It is! Spain wins the World Cup! Magic, right? In another timeline, in some other alternate reality, we are talking about how this team won. We're talking about what it takes to be a World Cup athlete or about how much money you make as a World Cup winner or about whichever one of the players is the hottest. That is what we deserve. And I am open to arguing about this later. Just DM me. But alas, we are in this timeline where a man always finds a way to wedge himself into a story that doesn't need to involve him at all. So instead of talking about the women who won the World Cup, we're going to have to talk about workplace sexual assault. All but the chief of Spain's national women's football coaching staff have stepped down after the country's football federation president, Luis Rubiales, kissed player Jennifer Hermoso after her team's victory in the World Cup. The 11 staff members called it inappropriate. FIFA has suspended Rubiales from all football-related activity for 90 days. Last week, right after Spain won their first ever Women's World Cup, Spanish football federation head Luis Rubiales kissed Jennifer Hermoso, Spain's midfielder, right on the lips. She did not want him to kiss her. Why would she? He's her boss. Here's what Jennifer said about the kiss. I felt vulnerable and a victim of an impulse-driven, sexist, out-of-place act without any consent on my part. Simply put, I was not respected. Luis Rubiales called it spontaneous, mutual, euphoric, and done with consent. Spain's World Cup winners are now refusing to play until Luis is removed from the Spanish Football Federation. He's been suspended by FIFA for 90 days, but it doesn't look like he's going to step aside willingly. A church in southern Spain, an unlikely focal point for the kissing scandal that's engulfed Spanish football. It's where the mother of Luis Rubiales has gone on hunger strike to protest the treatment of her son, who's under pressure to resign after kissing the Spanish player Jennifer Hermoso on the lips following their World Cup win. His cousin spoke outside the church. 
Of course he's suffering because he doesn't want his mom to be put in this position. But his mom knows what he's like. Those who know him know who he is. This type of media reaction is not normal. He's not a harasser. What is not normal is that this girl did what she did. She was playing. Everyone won. They were champions. Everyone was happy. And three days later, she says it was harassment. Are we all stupid? I mean, if his mother wants to starve herself because her son sucks, by all means, she has the right to do so. Meanwhile, neither Rubiales nor the Spanish Football Federation have done a great job with damage control. The Federation published a statement that included a quote, ostensibly from Jennifer Hermoso, saying that the kiss was a, quote, totally spontaneous mutual gesture because of the immense joy that winning a World Cup brings. Turns out those words did not even come from her. And then footage of Luis celebrating Spain's big win went viral. And in it, you can see him grabbing his dick while standing right next to the literal queen of Spain and her 16-year-old daughter, really classing the sport up. And here he is further justifying what he did. If you don't speak Spanish, neither do I. But what he's saying is that because his player hugged him after she won the World Fucking Cup, the kiss was consensual. He also goes on a tangent about false feminism, but my doctor told me that I have a limit on how much dumb shit I can think about in a week. Otherwise, I have to go to the hospital for another lobotomy. And they're just, they're just so expensive. So here's the part where I'd like to say something ludicrous, like, imagine if you did a great job at work, you land a presentation, you meet a big deadline, you catch a big fish client, and in front of literally everyone you've ever known, and also several million strangers, your boss kisses you on the mouth in a spontaneous, euphoric act of celebration. The problem is, that is not so wild. That's actually very much a reality for a lot of women in different workplaces. I mean, that was the whole plot of Mad Men, and all of us, us little content pigs, snorted it up. I'm glad you're amused. You're so arrogant. Me? What do you do around here besides walking around like you're trying to get raped? Excuse me? I'm not some young girl off the bus. I don't need some madam from a Shanghai whorehouse to show me the ropes. We know men are bad at work, but this is an interesting case, isn't it? We saw it in real time, and yet there's clearly a contingent of the population who seems to not believe what they've seen with their own eyes. Now, I may be an expert on being mad about stuff, but I don't know much about soccer or FIFA or what's going to come next. So I called Tamara Griffin. She covers the Women's World Cup for The Athletic. Can you walk me through what happened after they won with our friend Luis? Our friend Luis, yes. Um, So after a World Cup final ends, you know, you have this incredible glitter moment. You have the medal ceremony. Honestly, it was sort of expected to be this perfunctory sort of performative formality. All the important people standing on stage, handing the players medals. I admittedly wasn't paying super close attention, nor was I really close enough to see what ended up happening when it happened. But as Jenny Hermoso, who was a striker on Spain's team, um, received her medal and, and handshake from Luis Rubiales, he grabbed her face with both of his hands. And I think it's safe to say forcibly. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah. Yes. Brought her face to his and kissed her on the mouth. 
And she, her hands were kind of like around his waist in sort of like a typical hug embrace. And I think it's important to note something that really stood out to me watching back what happened was that as soon as he kissed her, she kind of like clapped her hands against his waist. And it seemed to me like the only thing she could do, given what the sort of body language dynamic was in the moment to even like stage a bit of a bodily protest. And a a raw reaction of, what the fuck are you doing? This is not okay. It's almost like when you're like, okay, that's enough. Like, okay. Exactly. A way of like leaning away, a a way of resisting. And because this was happening in succession, it it happened so quickly. Um, But of course, as we've seen the videos posted online and the photos, it it was a pretty intense moment, even though it was brief. Jennifer Hermoso and her fellow teammates are refusing to play until the Spanish Football Federation does something about Luis Rubiales and his behavior. But the team has actually been in protest for a long time now. And surprise, surprise, this isn't the first time Luis has crossed the line. We'll be back with more of Tamara in a minute. Hey, Waves listeners, if you're loving the show and want to hear more, subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. And while you're there, check out our other episodes, too, like last week's about how celebrities and even the Chess Federation are so obsessed with trans people. And if you want to support this show or any of the shows you hear on Slate, consider joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, no hitting the paywall on the Slate site, and bonus content from shows like this one. To learn more, go to slate.com slash the waves plus. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to The Waves. I'm Sachi Cole, and we're here with Tamara Griffin, who covered the Women's World Cup for The Athletic. So what do we know about Luis Rubiales? Because this is the first time I've heard of him or seen him or his head shape before, so I don't know anything about him. Yeah, and admittedly, neither had I, I, at least not by name. The Spanish women's national team has been locked in a really tense disagreement with the federation, of whom Luis Rubiales is the president. He's been the president for the past five years. He was elected in 2018. And he's a former soccer player. He's like been, yeah, so he's like in the game. He's not just like a rich guy who just showed up, right? This is someone who at least understands yes. soccer. But I I, I <laughs> okay. would say specifically from the male Spanish perspective. Um, and I was actually looking this up because I also didn't know too much about the guy before all of this happened. Um, and he's actually been involved in some legal cases involving the harassment of women. Before. No way! Yeah, really? I was sure this was the first time. (laughs) You know, I mean, people were calling it a witch hunt. I was, I I had to look into it. So apparently in 2020, two years after he was elected president of the RFEF, the Spanish Football Federation, he was accused of assaulting a female architect who was in charge of renovating his home. 
His defense in court was that it was, in fact, she who who harassed him, and he won that case. And later that year was reelected president of the Spanish Football Federation. So a bit of foreshadowing there about many things, not just him, but how the Federation works, how Spanish courts work, how male power works, not just in Spain, but everywhere. (laughs) What happened at the end of the World Cup was sort of the exclamation mark. Well, sort of like the question mark, exclamation mark on the end of years of struggle um, among the, the Spanish women footballers. And so last year, 15 players basically said, do not call me in for national team duties until these changes are implemented. They essentially withdrew their names from consideration to represent their country in any sort of competition. Most of their complaints actually had to do with the head coach of the Spanish national team who remained the head coach in the World Cup. They were accusing him of such toxic behaviors as not allowing them to lock their hotel room doors when they traveled oh, for trainings, Christ. for games, for tournaments. Why? Why? Because who Why? knows what they might have been doing that required his supervision was his justification. So this total lack of autonomy, lack of agency um, was obviously toxic um, and and not okay. Like this is obviously like infantilizing behavior. This is like machismo to the most offensive and highest degree. But also they were fighting and and arguing for things that women's football teams all over the world have been arguing for, which is essentially a more professionalized environment. Not only the Spanish players, but many others have complained about poor training conditions, about not being given advance notice about games that they are being scheduled for, basically being treated like second-class citizens to men's national teams. And the players had had enough. This is also happening at a time where at a club level across the world, leagues are making more efforts to to professionalize their teams. And so you're seeing this sort of growing disparity between, you know, you play for your club and you're earning this salary, you're given these training facilities, you're given this support from your administration, and then you go to support your country and you feel like you're – you're a kid again. You know, you can't move freely. You're not able to be a professional. They protested. They withdrew their names from uh, from the national team. And it was Luis Rubiales who basically doubled down on behalf of the Federation and said, okay, fine, don't play. We have plenty of others who are willing to replace you. And if and when you are willing to apologize, <laughs> you can come back. So also doubling down on the patronization of these players, right? Three of the 15 players who protested ended up rejoining the national team and ended up playing in the World Cup. So going into this tournament, there were already some internal rifts um, among the team along. I mean, this is essentially a labor story, right? We have players who are essentially crossing picket lines and fans had extremely complicated feelings about all of this. I even have had complicated feelings about all of this because on the one hand, I know that not everyone can afford to protest. You know, World Cups only happen once every four years. Jenny Hermoso is 33 years old. Who knows if she's going to play four years from now when she's 37? Um, Who knows if she's going to play next year at the Olympics? I suspect that she will. But 
not everyone can afford to miss the opportunity that a World Cup provides. Um, I, I completely get that. Of course, I also understand what it means to stick to your values and refuse to comply with toxic, abusive bullshit from your federation, knowing that historically that has been what people have needed to do in order to, to enact change that they, that they demand. And so Luis Rubiales was, was sort of at the top of this and was the first when uh, these 15 players protested to express his support for the coach. Um, and again, to, to, to sort of uh, double down in, in the arrogance of demanding that these players apologize for, for expressing themselves um, and for sticking by their values before being invited back into the team. So even before this forceful kiss happened, before this active assault happened, he was very much um, clear in his his stance as as a man at the top of one of the most powerful national football federations in the world um, and how he felt about the women who played for him. So it sounds like the team, the rest of the team, they're saying that they're not going to play until Luis is removed from his post. Do you think that could happen? Do you think anything will happen at all? I do. So there have been some incremental uh, pushbacks. Um, FIFA has suspended him from his position. Um, At one point, the Spanish Federation threatened to withdraw from the European Football Federation, UEFA, um, which was immediately shot down. That would have been almost like a a Spanish soccer Brexit, essentially, like not just at the national level, but even at the club level. So huge clubs like Real Madrid and Barcelona would no longer be able to compete in European soccer competitions, men's or women's, which would have been massive. Um, that was shot down. But actually yesterday, the sort of governing body of the Spanish Football Federation, not including Luis, of course, um, actually called for his resignation, which was ironic because this was the same body that was also saying that Jenny was a liar when she came out saying that she didn't consent to the kiss. Again, super complicated, five steps backward, one step forward sort of moment. So it does seem like the Spanish Football Federation is feeling the pressure, not just from the 81 Spanish players who have refused to play until he's out, but from the sort of global movement that this whole moment has has sort of sparked. Okay, we're going to take a break here, but if you want to hear more from Tamara and myself on another topic, you should, one, be or become a Slate Plus member, and two, stick around until after the show to hear us talk about how players express themselves outside of their uniforms. Okay, we're back with Tamara Griffin. Tamara, everything is sexist. I know this. But how sexist is women's soccer? How sexist is the Spanish women's soccer team? How would you quantify this? So I would say moderately to extremely sexist. It's I know it's difficult to sort of quantify how sexist something is. It's like looking at a menu and like determining how spicy your your meal is going to be with the number of chili peppers that they list. And even that is subjective, right? Um, I would say across women's soccer globally, We are in a moment where players are very much aware of the disparities that they face between 
them and the men. That part isn't new, but what is new is that they're actually doing something about it. So Spain is far from the only team that was having issues with either their head coach or their federation, even in this World Cup. And there was actually one moment in particular that stands out to me um, leading up to the final. Spain had played Zambia and thrashed them. They won like five to zero. Um, the Zambian players had just lost their last game five to zero. So they were sort of in shambles at the end of the game. On top of that, Zambia was also dealing with an abusive and toxic, allegedly, head coach who they had accused of coercing them with sex in order to earn spots on the national team, who after they got knocked out of the tournament, a player anonymously accused this coach of like rubbing her breast during training or something like that. Um, And so after Zambia lost this game, a lot of the players were just like inconsolable, weeping on the field, like heaving sobs. And the Spanish players went and consoled them. They picked them up off the ground. They hugged them. They like held their faces up. And it was both a moment that on the surface looked like this, you know, beautiful display of sportsmanship. But for people who were aware of what both of these teams were dealing with, you couldn't help but also wonder if this was also a moment of solidarity. Because even though Spain was clearly the dominant team between those two on the field, at the end of the day, this is a case of two teams from two different continents who were dealing with coaches who are abusing them and federations who are ignoring their cries for help and their demands for change. And it just, it was such a layered moment that I think really encapsulates what underscored this world cup. Um, Yes. These players are competing against each other. Yes. There can only be one winner, but at the end of the day, so many of these 32 teams are fighting for the same things and they're up against the same sort of challenges. So, um, We've long said that women's sports, not just soccer, is never just about the sport. It's always an act of protest. Be existing in your jersey on any field, court, arena, whatever, is an act of protest because most people don't expect you to be there. Most people think that what you're doing is frivolous, um, unimportant, not valuable. They don't view you as a professional. Um, And that alone unites players across sports, across nations. um, And... This, I think, was the first World Cup where so many of those battles were at the forefront. So many of those battles were public. So so many of those battles were being asked about by players and coaches in press conferences. Um, And I think that coupled with how massive it was, how publicized, how many records were broken in terms of attendance for fans in the in the stadiums, for broadcast records being broken. I hope that those two things coupled with each other will will provide these teams and these players the the sort of platforms they need to continue fighting for change even though the tournament's over. I wanted to ask you a little bit about like the power dynamic between someone like Jennifer and then Luis. Because when I looked at it, I was like, oh, that's her boss. Her boss kissed her, like, after she did a great job at work. Is that an accurate, <laughs> just, like, ex- very truncated explainer of that dynamic between the between him and the players? I think so. And you can even really say her boss's boss. If we're to consider her boss as the, the team head coach, the manager, Jose Vilda, Luis presides over Jose. And so... Imagine you're getting 
you know, nominated for employee of the year or something like that. And your boss's boss kisses you on the mouth when you're on on the podium accepting your award. Um, Jenny actually, in an Instagram live, when she was still in the locker room celebrating with her teammates right after the game ended, was asked by someone off camera about the kiss. And this is, I mean, still very much in the wake of the moment when emotions are still super intense and she's navigating the elation of the victory and the shock of the assault. But even in that moment, she said in Spanish, so this is sort of a loose translation, but what could I do? Well, yeah, I mean, what could she do? What was she supposed to do, shove him? Exactly. I mean, ironically, this is what happened anyway, but had she done something even more extreme, the whole moment would have been overshadowed by her reaction, of course. And like I said, ironically, the whole moment has still been overshadowed by by the assault itself. Um, but I thought that that reaction was so telling and, and so relatable for people who have been attacked that way um, in ways that are so public that would prompt, I think, a lot of expectations of, well, why didn't you do something else? But really, what can you do? What can you do except take it? And a lot of, t- I mean, I can't imagine what went through her mind in the moment. The, the, the options that she might've been pouring through in her mind as to how she could react. She didn't see it coming. Um, so yes, the, the power dynamic was, was clear. And I think that's sort of what cornered her in that moment. It also was wild to me, speaking of Jennifer, you know, giving interviews, did the Federation make up a quote from her? saying, like, it was okay, it was totally consensual? Like, how do they think they were going to get away with that? Yeah. So I... (laughs) So many things there. Um, They were behaving as if there was no video of what happened. (laughs) First of all, I mean, like, the millennial in me is like, you clearly have no young people on your staff because you think that whatever you say can override whatever multimedia exists. (laughs) Um, But I think it also, on a more serious note, reveals the extent of their like depraved belief that whatever they say is law and that all they need are their words and they can silence anything else, including (laughs) video, including photos. Um, much less the voices and perspectives of of the players themselves and everyone else who saw it happen, right? That was sort of like the first in of many, um, the first of many signs that that federation is is and has been operating in a world where what they say and what they do is law. And I think that is also reflective of of the way men who have power and are not used to having that power questioned carry themselves with with impunity and and with a level of arrogance that just shows a clear detachment from reality. One of the things Louis said after the kiss his his shitty justification was just that he was like very caught up in the moment. But I also looked at it like kissing her like that it felt like it was designed to be humiliating. It was designed to kind of cut her down and like remind her. Do you know what I mean? There was some like the place that it happened, the way it happened. I'm wondering if you if you've thought about that, if you believe him. <laughs> oh no, I I think you're absolutely right. When he kissed her, it reminded me of so many times that I have either personally experienced or witnessed 
what happens when a man is so threatened by a woman, whether it is, you know, feeling threatened by her success, feeling threatened by her power, her agency, the support that she might be receiving for whatever the reason, that he resorts to the most violent, the most misogynistic, calculated means to claim back the power that he feels himself losing in that moment. A way of turning the attention back to him, a way of chopping her down, a way of silencing her, making her feel small. That's what that said to me. It reminded me of the moment when Quinta Brunson was accepting her Emmy Award for Abbott Elementary and Jimmy Kimmel went and laid down in the middle of the stage, um, interrupting her moment. Jimmy, wake up, I won! Jimmy? Okay, hold my phone. Um. Um. It's obviously a much more violent version of that. But at the end of the day, this is men who are not able to even metabolize the idea of a woman having power, of a woman being the center of attention, of a woman being celebrated. It's disgusting. And it was a moment that spoke to so many situations that I've seen before um, about men not being comfortable with women being in power. Well, I like to end all my interviews on that note. Because <laughs> I think it's really helpful. <laughs> Um, My thanks to Tamara Griffin for explaining soccer, sexism, and the rest of the world to me. Thanks, Tamara. Thanks for having me, Sachi. As ever, we cap out today's episode with a little segment we call You Owe Me an Apology. And since it's my last episode here, it seems only fitting that I be the one who demands an apology. So today, I'm demanding an apology from the woman at my gym who knocked too loudly and too hard on the bathroom door last week. Yes, I understand the gym only had one bathroom, but I was using it. And yes, I was looking at my phone. And yes, my legs were very much numb by then, but it is the principle of the matter. Conversely, I would also like an apology from the woman at my gym earlier this week who spent too much time in the bathroom. What was she doing in there? Staring at her phone? Typical. That's our show this week. I'm Sachi Cole. I'm your host, and I wrote and executive produced this episode. The Waves is produced by Shayna Roth. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer. Alicia Montgomery is Slate's vice president of audio. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves at slate.com or find me on a plethora of social media platforms at S-C-A-A-C-H-I. We want to hear your thoughts, your hopes, your dreams. Please direct any complaints or criticisms to that relative you have who got too into crypto. I'm sure he's a great listener. The Waves will be back next week with Cat Chow. In the meantime, don't let the man keep you down. Thank you so much to our Slate Plus members. Your contributions to Slate are really what keeps shows like this one going. And since you are an oh-so-loyal member, you get this weekly bonus segment. So today we're talking about sports and fashion on and off the pitch with Tamara Griffin. Hi, Tamara. Hi, Sachi. 
Okay, can you tell me a little bit about the story you wrote uh, last week? Yes, and I think you're going to appreciate it because I can see you have some bomb nails right now. (laughs) Aren't they fun? They are amazing. Thanks. (laughs) Um, I've been (laughs) noticing them all show. Um, So... (laughs) Sports is all about uniformity, team sports especially. Um, And I was really fascinated by the ways in which players continue to express themselves and their individuality and communicated their values given the constraints of a team uniform when they're in competition and how that combined with this sort of global platform like a World Cup provides gives them the opportunity to announce themselves to the world and state their values. So I wrote a story about a player from New Zealand. Her name's Ali Riley. She plays professionally in Los Angeles. And going into the World Cup, she, as a co-captain of New Zealand's national team, learned with the rest of us that FIFA was not going to allow captains to wear a rainbow-colored armband, which is sort of like the signifier of that of a captain um, when they play soccer. They wear this like elastic armband around their bicep. When she's in LA, Allie wears a rainbow armband all the time to show her solidarity with the LGBTQIA plus community um, and was clearly upset along with several other players and, and managers that she wouldn't be able to do this at the World Cup. So she came up with the idea to bring that flag and the trans flag actually onto her nails. And when she was in New Zealand the night before her first game, um, it was against Norway, she found a local nail salon in Auckland and spoke with one of the nail technicians and got one hand painted red, orange, yellow, green, blue. She can do purple because she doesn't have six fingers on that one hand. <laughs> and then the other hand um, in the colors of the trans flag. So the light blue, light pink, white, light pink, light blue. Um, and so the story was about how she used her nails as a form of protest. Um, and I love that. Not only because I stand nail art <laughs> and manicures and the That's, politics. It looks good. <laughs> it you does know, look it's, good. it's really just an extension. Uh, it's an accessory. And I think more people need to view them that way. The example I think about the most in this topic is, is our friend Flojo. Yeah, Flojo the goat. On both the track and the the sort of like nail fashion runway, um, yes, in the salon and at in work. The, there you go, in the salon and at work. Um, yeah, she competed in the late '80s sprint track star who was known to approach the track with these immaculately decorated nails, always sparkling, super long, like impossibly long, especially at the time, um, but. Surely she is on the mood boards of like Cardi B and all of our favorite stars now who have these elaborate, super accessorized rhinestone encrusted nails that were in all different iterations of red, white, and blue sparkling from, you know, the stands. And she was winning on top of that. And she is such an important icon in sports and in style. And at the intersection of those two things, because I think traditionally, People didn't believe that those two things could coexist. And Flojo showed us that it was possible. So how do you think people now respond to that kind of like the the fashion angle? Do you think, I th- you know, obviously there's lots of people who like it, but it, I'm sure there's lots of people who are just sort of needlessly shitty about it. <laughs> Anytime a woman does anything, right? That was just some of our Slate Plus segment. If you want to hear the whole thing, go to slate.com slash the waves plus to become a Slate Plus member today. Slate.com slash the waves plus.